0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Rap. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Peller, and I think got a pretty cool episode for you today. I kind of teased it a little bit at the end of our last show. Um, we're talking basketball and baseball. Basketball getting in the thick of conference play. Baseball closing in on first pitch. Team that looks maybe ready to make a run to Omaha. We'll see. If you're like me, just getting around to these seasons maybe, or, or, or the six-game six win streak for basketball brought you in, hoping this episode can get you caught up. Everything you need to know, hopefully make you a little bit of a smarter fan too. So to do that, we're bringing our smart guys in here from Tomahawk Nation on both teams for hoops. That's Matt Minick. Matt, thrilled to have you here, dude. Thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I'm, I, I think it may be my second time on Seminole Rap. I don't know. I think I maybe talked with Tim or John one time before, but happy to happy to join and ready to talk some hoops.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I just started on, on Seminole Rap in August, so this is uh, definitely our first time together, so excited to talk basketball. It's definitely, uh, I don't know, I, I, they've all heard that I'm yeah I'm an LSU guy and we're not normally good at hoops, so I've always loved ba- basketball. I used to used to coach it, so I'm excited to talk it. Um, so, if you're new here, just just catching into the basketball season. Quick recap: slow start, seven and five. Some some potential bad loss, narrow aversion at home to Boston University and Tulane. Uh, a couple blowout losses: Florida, Purdue, Wake Forest. They then rattled off six straight in conference to take the top of the ACC. Then they lost again and by double digits Wednesday night at Georgia Tech. So right now, thirteen and six, six and three in conference. Matt, I'll just start with what we've seen so far. What happened at the beginning of the year to kind of get it off to a rough start, and what exactly did they did they, I guess, figure out that that got them kind of back in the mix?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting question because certainly, certainly the record wasn't all that good to start the season. And and look, you know, the last we'll call it five years has been possibly the the best five-year stretch, probably, not possibly, probably the best five-year stretch in Seminole basketball history, uh, not just under Leonard Hamilton, but uh, in, in total history. I mean, go into multiple Sweet 16s, and Elite Eight, and the best team of all didn't even get to play in the NCAA tournament, uh, a team that would have likely been a one or a two seed and, and a favorite to go to the Final Four. And, and you know, looking back now with the hindsight of, of perspective – um you know that team had five nba players, you know four or five nba players on it so um it's coming into this season if if you're a a listener to the to the tomahawk nation podcast the hoops dedicated podcast from michael rogner and i which i know there's been some interest in having another one and i think we're gonna be able to get another one out there soon but you know we even talked about coming in that look there was some potential on this team if everything went right, if the transfers uh, had the kind of impact that they would need to have as first-year players, if uh, the recruits lived up to expectations, and if health stayed you know, 100%, that this team had perhaps a, a, a fairly high ceiling, but that the floor for this team was also a lot lower than what it has been uh, for previous years, most, mostly because they weren't you know, they weren't going to be getting their major contributions from either NBA lottery picks, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, Scotty Barnes, right, or um, very established seniors like Terrence Mann, Trent Forrest, who, by the way, are both also in the NBA, (laughs) Um, but, you know, seniors. So they weren't going to be getting contributions from either of those. They're going to be getting contributions from uh, freshmen or first-year players or seniors who, you know, yeah, they've been on the team for a while, but they're not, they don't, they're not NBA talent-level seniors. They're role players that have, that have done a nice job filling those roles, but they're, they're not going to be starting for the Clippers. Um, no. So the, the variance coming into the season was higher than normal, and I think that we've seen that inconsistency play out. Now to your question, well, they started off rough. The reality is, I don't know that they have actually played much better lately. Um, they've maybe played easier teams. The best team they've played all year was Purdue. They played that game on the road, got predictably blown out. Um, you know, okay, the second best team was maybe Duke. That game was at home, and we typically match up fairly well with Duke's uh, style, stylistically, and, and you know, physical, we're typically more physical. But probably the third best team they've played uh, was Florida, also on the road, and early in the season and got blown out um maybe you could say wake forest was the third best team well what happened in that game was a blowout so they kind of when they've played pretty good teams they haven't really fared all that well when they've played teams that are average uh or worse you know some games they've been able to pull out close wins and some games they've been able to you know they've they've lost close and and i think what you saw over the six game winning streak was just the ball bouncing the right way and they were getting Getting wins as opposed to losses, but they weren't actually playing all that better.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 that makes sense. I guess in the basketball, world, I I went and looked earlier at, at some of their uh, like advanced numbers, and they don't, they don't look bad. They just look basically middle of the road across the board De- defensively. Um, I guess a little better than offensively. I guess much better offensive per per their numbers, but the one area that only kind of stands out is is maybe their three point defense percentage isn't great over expected but there's nothing that stands out like this is a bad team and there's nothing that stands out that says this is a good team and I guess when your margin for error is is that type of slim that's where you kind of see the variance and the ability to rattle off big wins and then when you play the good teams that's that's kind of I guess where, where we're at
1: with this team yeah I mean they're just what, they're a team that you know shots are fault it if they're making some threes and, and really if they're getting turnovers uh, there, there's probably one thing that this team does at an elite level and that is forced turnovers. Uh, if they're forcing turnovers and able to start getting into a rhythm early in the shot clock on offense, then yeah, I think, you know, you see them have halves like they had against Miami in the first half uh, where they were up 43 to 19 or something like that, or like the second half against Duke. Or, or actually even perhaps the best game they played all year was kind of early in the season it was a neutral court win over Missouri. Uh, again, you know, Missouri is not a great team, but they're they're probably better than the Georgia tech team that just blew out Florida state and uh, and Florida state won that Missouri game by, you know, 25 points or, or thereabouts, you know, that was, that was a pretty good game and, and what they were able to do in that game uh, was force, force Missouri, into a turnover on 25 percent of their possessions so when when Florida State's been able to do that they've been successful when they haven't been able to force turnovers or when their shots aren't falling like against uh Syracuse the first game they had probably the worst shooting night I've ever seen Florida State have uh in in the Tucker Center or or certainly one of the top five worst nights I guess there was a few bad bad years back in the Steve Robinson era but you know look it's It's a game of make, make a shot, miss a shot. And if if you're shot, if you're going four for 30 from the perimeter, you're probably not going to win the basketball game. Um, but you know, it's interesting. It's actually interesting that you said, Oh, well the defense seems a little bit of the offense and here, here's, here's some actual stats to throw at you that, that kind of even question, are we actually playing that better? Um, This is on on Bart Torvik, which is a free site. You can go and actually you can manipulate the data to look at it by dates. And so if you look at from the first game of the season to December 31st, uh, Florida State has six and four record, but they were actually playing at what Torvik would say they were the 42nd best team in the country during that time span, even though they had a six and four record and their defense was was 25th in the country during that time span. If, if you look at from January 1st to today, uh, their record is seven and two, right? Seven and two compared to six and four. But instead of being the 42nd best team in the country during that time span where they're seven and two, actually 86th in the country and their defense instead of being 25th is 108th, uh, actually slightly worse than the offense. And, and what's really been the biggest difference maker is that on January the, the first game after January first, I think it was maybe like third or fourth, we played NC State, and Malik Osborne hurt his ankle, and he's been playing on a on one leg ever since. And and the the team he's not even starting games anymore. And, and despite finding ways to win, uh, we we have looked very vulnerable with with an injured Malik Osborne.
0: Yeah, it certainly changes the game. And one thing I think that maybe could play part of that too in that time frame is, is right around the start of conference play. I mean, the first against NC state, the ACC isn't really anything like you would normally see from the ACC. It, it feels like Duke and a bunch of other teams, um, even though Duke has, I mean, obviously Florida state got them in overtime. And then uh, I think a one point loss to Miami also, but it, it just seems like kind of the, the whole, the conference as a whole is a, any, any given day can kind of bounce any direction.
1: That's right. I would say you You know most of the metrics would have uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, as as you know the sixth best conference in the country this year, which is which is not anything close to what you know is typical ACC standards, Um, and and I think you can make an argument that uh, it might even be closer to, I, I don't know, it depends on what you feel about the, the Mountain West or the West Coast Conference. Uh, you know, we're Gonzaga's out there, St. Mary's, San Francisco, which is actually pretty good this year. So it's not a good conference. And and you're right. It's like, well, we're not playing, let's say at best, we're playing about the same in the seven and two stretch as we were in the opening six and four stretch. Um, I Stats might show we're playing worse, but, but what have you done in that stretch? Well, you, okay, you beat you beat a, a, a average NC State team on the road, but in a game where – I mean, NC State's also had injuries and has had some of their, their key contributors out. You beat a Louisville team who just fired their coach. You beat Miami by one twice uh, and and probably could have lost either of those games. You beat Syracuse, who is probably on the way to firing or, or forcing a res- resignation of the, yeah. their coach, right? You beat North Florida and you beat uh you, you had a good win against Duke, where they they were Florida State as it does a, a few, you know, Tucker Magic uh was able to, to pull it out late in overtime, which you know you, you don't you don't go to overtime against Leonard Hamilton. That's right. So it's like what what actually was accomplished in those games and you have a blowout loss to Wake and a blowout loss to Georgia Tech. It's not not a lot of heft on that resume.
0: Yeah, and looking looking even just just to look at the game scores, I mean, it's it's two-point win, 22-point loss, nine-point win, one-point win, five-point win, one-point OT win. Um, I'm going to skip the North Florida game because it doesn't really fit in the ACC schedule. The one-point win against Miami, and then the 14-point loss. I mean, their wins are, are razor-thin, one-bounce-type difference like you've talked about. Uh, I, I mean, they're not getting out of conference play here, obviously, the rest of the year, I guess, no, they're, they're not. Or Florida they're, was a
1: makeup game, so yeah. yeah,
0: they're not. They're not rescheduling that that UCF game, which which could you know play into the numbers, I guess, towards the end. Um, but I, you know, it's not going to get easier. It's it's going to be that same level of competition, and and it, it, from what I've seen looking towards March and the tournament, it seems like the sweet the sweet spot number for them to to kind of feel good about where they're at is is seems to be twenty twenty one. Um, so you've got you're at 13, and I and I feel like you'd like to be higher than that. Um, quick count one two three four five. You're about 11 left. I mean you're gonna have to go. I guess is it seven and four? Is it is it eight and eight and somewhere in that range? Seven and four, eight and three. Uh, is is that a doable thing? I mean you do have Duke on here, which at this point at Duke almost feels like an, an auto loss, but they did just beat them, so I don't want to say that. But I, I don't know. I'm 21, 20 feels like the range, but looking at it, it seems tougher now that I'm.
1: I'm looking at the numbers to try to make them make sense. They do have the tournament to help out. Yeah, they've got the tournament. Um, and and you're right. I mean, you kind of counted off those wins. I mean, look, it, it's still, we're still in a sport that, despite the fact that the committee is going to put a lot of emphasis on, more emphasis on metrics than they did, 10 or 15 years ago which is a shame because there was actually a few years when Florida State had some phenomenal metrics uh but they didn't get in because it was an outdated model uh and and those teams probably would have done some significant damage with Al Thornton and some others um but yes metrics are important quad win quad one quad two wins are important uh there are I mean Florida State's still getting wins so let's make no mistake beating Miami 61 to 60 and 65 64 is better than losing by one point Um, so they have at least put them in this put themselves in the position to make a run now what is it actually going to take I would say that I'd say seven more ACC wins feels like a minimum of of being in contention and it's, it's not even so much that you need I mean, you do need the wins, but what you really need is you need to avoid more bad losses. They've already got the quad three loss at home to Syracuse. They've already, they just picked up a quad three loss on the road to Georgia tech and, and South Carolina is currently quad three. It could, you know, that one was like a neutral site game. So that they maybe could sneak into that quad two, which would help. But bottom line is there's already several bad losses on the resume And, and the thing is, is that the ACC is so bad that if you don't win seven more of your games, just looking at the schedule, if, if you lose more than, so there's 11 left. If you lose more than four, odds are, that means you're starting to pick up bad losses. There's only so many, like, okay, let's say they lose a Duke. Let's say they lose at North Carolina. That's not a terrible loss. Let's say they lose at Clemson. That's, you know, from a metric standpoint, not a terrible loss. Um, they're actually probably going to be underdogs anyways. And uh, let's say you lose at home to Notre Dame. None of those, none of those are terrible losses, but if, if you're like, okay, well, we're going to start losing more, well, where are those going to come from at Boston college home to Clemson Pittsburgh? Like these are going to be bad losses. So If they win less than seven more of the 11 remaining regular season games, uh, unless one of those wins is at Duke, I'd say that they'd have to make a run probably to the ACC tournament finals. Yeah. They can get seven. You're right there on the cut line going into the tournament. You probably can't lose your first game because chances are, if you lose your first game, it's going to be a bad loss. If you can get eight, if you can go eight and three the rest of the way, which – as bad as the ACC is, all it takes is Florida State getting hot from three for two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you win if you win eight the rest of the way I'd say you probably feel pretty pretty solid it, it, even with a loss in the ACC tournament, like winning eight games means that some of those are probably half to gonna, gonna come against the wakes uh, the at Clemson, the at North Carolina or something like that. So you know you'd feel pretty solid about that.
0: Is there anything you think they can do? To, to help them get there? Is there something when you look at the team, how they play with, with the roster lineup changes, is, is there anything that you think could, could um, make this six game win streak in, into a reality? I guess is probably like, obviously it happened already, but what, what can make it real? The, the improvements real. Is there something there? Uh,
1: they've got to keep finding ways to force turnovers and, and they've got to capture the magic that they played with on defense in the Duke game and in the first half of the of the road Miami game, and and even in like that Missouri game that I talked about and stuff, where they're playing as a cohesive unit, I, I think with Malik Osborne hurt, I I think that makes it more challenging. Like, part of me, part of me would say you just need to sit them for four for. Two weeks yeah. and, and get him healthy. Get him healthy. If, if you came to a real if, if Florida State lost two of its next three and you said, Well, look, now we just got to make a run in the tournament. Like right. at that point, you just need to get Malik healthy because what are you all you're playing for is, is a run in the tournament. Um, I'd like to see Cameron Fletcher play more. I think he is is in that Devin Vassell mold where he's disruptive on he he, he maybe is a little out of control at times, but he just causes chaos on defense. And our best offense is defense. So I'd like to see him get some more run. I'd like to see Raquan Evans be the. Uh, I mean, he was critical in that six-game winning streak. He he hit game-winning free throws against um, Miami. He hit the game-tying shot against Duke to send it to overtime. He hit a big shot late in the game in the second game against Miami. He hit a, a shot against Syracuse. So he he had a bad game against Georgia Tech. Maybe he was sick. Maybe it was just a bad game. You know, these guys are you know amateurs. It happens. Uh. He's got to he's got to step up and 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 play like he was during the the six game stretch, and then you're gonna to have to have some you know some of the younger guys, the Cleveland, the Worley's. I mean, they're gonna to have to start grasping the defensive principles. Uh, if if they're gonna if we're gonna need John Butler's three point shooting, if we're gonna need Jalen Worley's kind of vision and and ball handling, if we're gonna need Matt Cleveland there and and the, you know in the center of playing a small ball a little bit. They're going to have to be able to, to grasp the defensive principles such that we're not, you know, leaving guys wide open from three. It's not even so much that, you know, my partner, Mike Rodner, uh partner on the podcast, has talked a lot about three-point defense. Once the shot leaves his hand, it's largely luck of whether it goes in or not. But what the research says is that are you preventing the shot from being taken? Because most threes that are taken are atten- are open guys don't, unless it's late in the shot line, they just don't jack up contested threes. So are you there on the catch to the point that you're actually preventing the shot from being attempted? And, and where Florida State has really struggled this year, uh, you look at Ken Palm, we are 327th in the country at three-point attempts compared to field goal attempts uh, on defense, which means that teams are feeling, they're, they're getting open looks, regardless of whether they're making them or not. We're not we're not ready on the catch to defend it dude knows his stuff if you couldn't tell already
0: matt knows what he's talking about if you, if you haven't if you're not already checking it out go ahead and listen to him and rogner a new episode coming soon probably shortly after this one maybe in the next couple of days
1: yeah i think i i'd say maybe as soon as saturday but um yeah there should, we should have another one dropping soon
0: yeah definitely check him out he guys are smart he clearly knows his stuff big time matt thanks for having you man yeah. thanks for coming yeah. on From the chase to make March Madness to the race for Omaha, we go ahead and turn now to the man who uh, eats, sleeps, breathes this program, Brett Nevitt. Uh, I'm sure you've seen his writing on our site covering all the sports, but the dude is just all over baseball. Couldn't go to anybody else to talk preseason baseball with. So Brett, excited to have you on, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to get started and get into baseball season finally
0: on February 18th. I know, finally almost here. I, I'm, we're under a month, and it, it finally feels really close. That, that opening Friday night, I'm sure, is, is inching closer. Is it a Friday or are they open on a Thursday? Yeah, Friday. Of course. Uh, well, if you don't follow them already, make sure you do on Twitter, BrettPN, at BrettPN. Uh, and then make sure you're listening to the Sunday Gold Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. That's, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever it is. Wherever you got this one, I'm sure it's there. Uh, first ever podcast, Shoe Baseball. And these guys do a great job. I mean, I, I know you guys have got a lot of one-on-ones over the offseason and um, just a, a lot of cool content during the year. So what, what else do people really have to look forward to there? And what, what are you guys working on before we really jump into our preseason chat?
2: Yeah, once we really get into preseason practices, which start on Friday, we'll probably start doing weekly podcasts ramping up towards the season. We'll keep doing our countdown series with more players, probably talk to Alex Terrell, Parker Messick, a few of those guys that will be the key to the season. So um, if you li- listen to Sunday Golds and head over there, you'll, you'll get a lot heading into the season. And then once we hit the season, pretty much every weekend, whenever whenever we're playing, you'll you'll be able to hear us and our thoughts and preview and everything. So looking forward to getting back to it with REO as well.
0: Yeah, I know I know. I jumped in. I think I started with Tomahawk Nation around April last year. So when I jumped in, I was one of the first things like, well, I got to get into baseball and, and catch up on everything so far. And you guys were quick to help me pick up. So even if you're just like, yeah, let me check out baseball this year, I think it's a pretty good year to do so. I mean, again, just like always, the expectations are high around the program, right? Preseason, they seem to be top 15 basically across the board. Uh, disappointing end to last year with the regional exit where, I mean, it seemed like they were kind of underseated. Um, but you know heading into this year you got a lot to build on if you're a Knowles fan what is it that that should get you excited about this year?
2: Yeah well it's obviously uh, the pitching staff I mean you top in the ACC last year and you're bringing back more than 50 percent of your guys from last year and obviously you have Parker Messick and, and he's Parker Messick and you just always know what you're going to get from him and he's a bulldog and just love watching him pitch and Bryce Hubbard I think is going to take a next step here and I think he's a guy that to go in the first round of the draft and he back on Saturdays, Sunday, they obviously have, you know, Carson Montgomery is just, you know, the person that every most people think that's going to be in there. And he's certainly got a good chance. They got a handful of guys just because of the staff that they have that, you know, they can really just pick out anyone from the staff and they'd, they'd work out for them, but there's still got a little bit of a ways to go there um, through preseason on that decision. But just that whole staff in general, I mean, it's, it's so deep. It's got so many different looks. It's, it's just so many, very it just, you got lefties righties power arms you got a couple arms that will come in and just pitch to the zone and they can do a lot of different things and they're just really excited about that and and i really don't they're probably one or two when in the in in nation with that staff
0: yeah i've seen a lot of chatter that that you know this is an, an omaha level staff and, and obviously led by messick it's a it's a guy you want to get out to the park and, and see pitch while you can it, it's one of those guys i'm, I'm sure you'll see for years to come and be like, yeah, I, I remember the, the Parker Messick years uh, when you see him, you know, on the Rockies or whatever, Like, it's, it's a name that'll, that'll stand out for a while. So if you're, you know, Hey, I don't know what to do this weekend. That might be a good player to go check out. Obviously one of the things behind pitching staff is, is the defense that that'll elevate you a lot. Um, and, you know, I know you've talked about it a bunch. It, it's been an issue for the last couple of years. They were better. Um, wh- where do you think Mike Martin Jr. feels about that level that, that realm of the team?
2: Yeah, there's probably a lot less anxiety for them this year going in. Um, you know, last year they were, were improved from the last couple of years, but it wasn't hard to really improve off the last couple of years and what they had been. Um, but they want to be a good defensive team going forward and they want to be more athletic going forward. Um, you know, last year, they really had probably like five question marks in the field at all times. And you know, outfield defense with some injuries and, and just, you know, guys that aren't super fast. It, it was tough sometimes infield defense. There was a lot of ups and downs and, um, you know, Nander really struggled at the end of the year. Um, and and you know, things just kind of started to spiral of defense at the end of the year. But, you know, this year, I think they feel very shirt up there. They did a good job in the portal infield defense is shirt up with Jordan carry on the Florida transfer at shortstop. And it's a real, real talent defensively, really special. I mean, they rave about him all the time. Um, I mean, at first base, Alex Terrell is not a guy with a bunch of range and, you know, he's coming in for the power, but he's very good around the base and making infielders look better, which what they struggled with last year at first base, sometimes defensively. Um, Brett Roberts, don't know exactly where he's going to play yet, second or third. He's really going to hit, though, but just on defense, always stick on that. You know, he's just another athletic guy that cover a lot of ground, and do a lot of things for them out out in the outfield you know, they'll be a lot better and, and more athletic and just be able to cover more ground. So overall, they just feel like they'll be able to help out the pitching staff even more this year and, and you know, really play some better, like, I guess, defensively better metrics because the fielding percentage wasn't terrible last year. It can definitely be better, but they need to be better at saving some runs for those pitchers.
0: Any, any concerns replacing uh, Matthew Nelson behind the plate in terms of, of that, I guess, the the bat itself, and then and then the defensive level too with the with the pitching staff.
2: Yeah, so obviously, you know, no one's going to be able to replace Matt Nelson and step into those shoes. I mean, he was as good as it gets last year, and um, I really don't think there was a better position player in college baseball, and he deserved every bit of praise he got. Um, but you know, Florida State, they're going to try to make up for his loss by profiling better at other positions. You know, for example, to route first base and. If you can just make up for it in other positions, I mean, catcher, even at the MLB level, it's not op- often that they're a good offensively. So you know, they're kind of go. They're going to go with the team approach behind the plate most likely, and you know, I think they think that they'll be able to, you know, do well behind the plate defensively. Uh, Colton Vinson and Brock Mathis. Mathis is a Oklahoma State transfer they brought in that, and both those guys are pretty reliable behind the plate. Um, and I think at the plate they'll go a bit more of a team approach and, you know, none of them, none of them are going to hit 300 plus with 20 plus homers like Matt did. But I think they think with the guys they have and, you know, being able to bounce off each other and learn off each other um, that they'll be able to, you know, be sufficient and and not get the team underwater there and, and just be able to, you know, help the pitching staff out and keep, keep those guys going.
0: Yeah, and it's a and it's a lot of new faces across, I guess, the field, right? And, and they brought in, they basically overhauled the the, the bench, I guess.
2: Yeah, and really, I the guess, starting lineup too. Yeah, most of the starting lineup is new. Um, I think it's eighteen newcomers, or maybe even more now, because they've added a couple more recently. But yeah, just but I mean, they needed a roster overhaul last year. The biggest issue with the team was. You know, they had a couple you know, contact was a problem, definitely. But I just think the biggest issue was their depth last year. They just, guys had to play every day. They really couldn't ever give guys rest. And, you know, when guys were struggling, they couldn't ever give them that mental break they needed. Um, you know, a little bit had to do with Reese Albert's injury. You know, Bazemena's got hurt as well he was as a freshman catcher. Um, but this year, they'll just have much more depth, and that allows them to do more things that they want to do in the field, on the bases, at the plate. Um, you know, they brought in a top 10 class of newcomers between transfers and, and freshmen. And I really like a lot of the freshman position players they brought in. Um, you know, some of those guys aren't going to be day one amazing players, but they're going to be guys that can hit the field and be better than what you had last year in your second level. And, you know, I just think everywhere about every, almost every single position that this year that they're, they're better at, they're better depth wise than they were last year.
0: Is there um, a feel yet, you know, I, I, here we are still three weeks before the start of the season, but I, I, what we're looking at, I guess, in the ACC overall, is there, are, which teams, I guess, are we, should we flag as like, you know, teams to look out for in, in that race for the ACC?
2: Yeah, well, obviously Notre Dame last year was was the team and they were, you know, I think they ended up winning the ACC by four games in the regular season. Um, so you if first off, got to mention them, they did lose a lot of big names, but I just think Link Jarrett's got a really thing, really good thing going on there, and they're doing a good job there. And they'll keep pumping out guys, and they always get more than they should out of of their roster. Um, And then going, I think Georgia Tech is another team that should be at the top. Um, You know, Duke is expected to be a much better team this year. They brought in a really good freshman class and have some talented arms there. Uh, You know, Miami's got even more new faces than FSU. They've got almost a whole new roster, but they've got a lot of young talent there too. So they're one that's kind of up in the air, but they could definitely, you know, rise to the top at some point. And then you got just everybody else seems to be just middle of the pack, just bunched up. But I think it's going to be a really good league this year and, and a really deep league this year. I think last year was a bit of a down year, but I, for most of the season, but then at the end of the season, you saw teams like NC state come to life. You saw um, Virginia come to life. I mean, those, those, those programs will always come around by the end of the year and be playing strong baseball. So I think, but I do think Florida state will be in that top mix, especially with the pitching staff. It's just no one will be able to compete with the three guys they are out there every single day, every weekend.
0: Yeah. And looking at their schedule, as I, as I try to be schedule guy here and keep up with you, they do play NC state, Duke, Notre Dame and Georgia tech back to back to back to back weekend. So you kind of can figure out that important stretch of the season there from mid-March to mid-April where, you know, they're going to have a hopefully you're peaking at that point and, and you can meet that challenge. Um, but before we got on here, I was I was reading some of your other articles where they did get caught up. Uh, last year was was in midweek games where they, that probably cost them some seating, the chance to host the chance to, um, you know, send sending them to Oxford, which is not an easy place to ever go, uh, especially as a three seed where you end up, uh, I guess, having to. I mean, two, three really doesn't make much of a difference in a regional, but it's still it's still not where they hope to be sitting in that preseason top 15 you're you're kind of hoping to host that regional looking it over myself i didn't really see i mean obviously you have florida on there but i don't see uh too much in the way of midweeks to kind of help fix your schedule it was in that in that rpi realm is there any anything you think could hold them back there or do you think this, this is something that they know they need to fix going into this year
2: well i think this year the just last year was such a year, weird year with RPI and ACC really screwed all ACC teams. I mean, you know, Notre Dame was a top five team in the country and they didn't even get a top eight seed because of how ACC schedule worked down at the 36 games and everybody kind of just hurt each other. And then you really just had to take every single opportunity in, in the non-conference. And, you know, they just had a couple of blunders against Jacksonville. You know, they had one loss against Troy. Um, trying to think they had a loss against, I want to say Stetson, I believe. I don't remember exactly for sure, but there were basically three losses that changed them from essentially a regional host to a three seed. Um, you know, I don't think every midweek game will hold as much ground this year as last year, but, you know, they're going to have to you know, take care of business and not have any quad four, quad three losses. I mean, basketball is dealing with that issue right now and yeah. everybody's talking about it, but, you know, I just think, this schedule does set up really nice for them this year. I really like it. You know, you get Cal at home, you get TCU at home. Um, They do really, I really like how meat does a good job of ramping up from week one to week two to week three to ACC season. Um, You know, this is only the second full time schedule we've got to have for meat, but he does a really good job of putting them together and really making this team compete for, you know, 56 games. It's not any cupcakes, I don't think. And, you know, they just—I I really love the TCU's coming here, not early season, but in April. I mean, you're going to get both yeah, those awesome. teams when they're starting to peak and when when they're playing their best ball. So, and that will be really fun. And like you said, I mean, ACC's the ACC schedule also sets up well for them. I think they get most of their toughest opponents at home. Um, so, I think it's going to be a really fun year, Dick Houser, for sure.
0: Anything I didn't ask you about? You that that, that intrigues you for the year.
2: No, I'm just excited to, you know, see some new faces in the lineup. And, uh, you know, I really think that Alex Terrell will have a big year for them and kind of prove some people wrong. I know a lot of people have downplayed that ad for them. I mean, you know, he's guy that hit 24 home runs three years ago in a single season. And I mean, you got the short porch and right field at Dick Hauser. And, you know, Brett Roberts is really going to hit. Jordan Carreon really going to play defense. I just really think that people should be really excited to see those three guys add to the lineup this year. And I think I got a piece coming up this Friday on those three guys, but that's just the only other thing I'd mention.
0: Cool. Well, I, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I appreciate the time again, catch him out on, check him out on Twitter. It's at Brett PN. And of course the Sunday golds podcast, wherever you can find him same place. You found this one, Apple, Spotify on and on appreciate you jumping on with us, Brett.
2: Thank you.